Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, before part one with hits, I already mentioned that we first got chatting when I was writing my Spain book a few years ago. What stood out to me was that Thomas provided brilliant first-hand insights into what it was like to face that all-conquering Spanish team for Germany at Euro 2008 when the adventure was just beginning. He didn't just list memories. He'd obviously thought a great deal about the Spanish players during the game and afterwards too. And indeed, it struck me that Although the German players could have been mad at the way in which the Spaniards celebrated through the mix zone, made it look as if they were triumphalist, not just triumphant. Hitz had a different view about the people he met for Spain that day, and he struck me as a thinker. We touch on that subject again. We talk about his take on Das Reboot, as Rafa Honigstein famously called it, and Klinsmann-inspired revolution from 2006, which, with the help of Samer and the German Bundesliga, took their football, back to the top of the world in 2014. Thomas's social conscience has been fundamental to much of what he's set out to accomplish in his life. And we talk about both his campaigning work against racism and anti-Semitism. And naturally, although football was the bigger part of the chat we wanted to have, he also talks a little bit about his decision in 2014 to come out as gay. I loved this hour and 20 minutes that we had with Thomas in London I hope this part two brings you enjoyment and satisfaction and tells you a story about a very, very impressive, interesting football man. When we first talked, it was about 2008. And I now listen to you, I now reflect still more strongly about what a weird group of Spanish players I encountered then because they were in this sort of giant ski lodge at the end of a valley near Innsbruck, and, and just by chance, because the Spanish don't necessarily have fully German-style organisation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Drank up to Vila gets given this key to room 23, mm-hmm. and it's a gigantic room. Yeah. There's three bedrooms in it, there's a salon, and everybody's like, well, you've got Dabowski's room, and he's like, no, this is my room. Yeah. And it goes well, and they all go and meet and party there at night, and Reina and Arbolo and somebody else steal food from the kitchen like little schoolboys would do, which I yeah. guess you would say is probably quite a good thing to be doing. It is indeed. So um, then Captain Villa finds out the room's haunted and there's a ghost. 
or at least he thinks it is, because something's creaking in the night. And he calls Santi Casola and says, "Will you come and move into the room with me?" And he uh-huh. he does. And but every night, everybody gets there together and and does their little sweepstakes, and they did the exact opposite of what you've described there. And they knew exactly what to do with their time. Mm-hmm. They stuck up for each other, they teased each other, they played music. Okay, they did play snooker or ping pong or these yeah. various different card games. But you would say that that, um, that type of spirit and that fun, and natural fun in each other's company is a little bit rare? Yeah, it is. And you get to realise it when things are not going well. And I just described what it's like with a, with a national team, the German national team, and they've played ever so well for the last 10, 15 years, I would say. But I've also been part of teams where it didn't go well and mm-hmm. it kind of all falls apart you know players don't talk to each other managers of course they take players out put players in you don't know who you can trust it's it's really really difficult i don't know how it starts and that's obviously the big question for a manager you know how do you, you stop it when it actually happens or how do you prevent it in the first place um so i can talk about a, a, a title winning team with stuttgart that we were friends, but it's always a chicken-egg question. What was there first, the good atmosphere or the, the good performances? Because it's easy when you win five games in a row, you think, oh, I love this, you know. Mm. Training is much easier. The guys are fun. You know, this guy actually, he's not as bad as I thought he was. <laughs> but when he's not playing well, I think he's, I don't like him. And uh, that's what you have to create. You know, that's a big question for the manager and the club or, or the national team, the people that look after the players. Okay, how do we get the best out of the players? Back in the days, 20, 30 years ago, you had to punish players. You'd say, okay, if you don't win, you're not going to get a bonus or you get extra training. Nowadays, I think the younger generation, of course, you have to explain to them why do you do certain things. Mm-hmm. They need to understand why they go to training and do certain exercises. What does it mean to win? trophies for you personally like what's what does football mean to you okay if, if you're successful how does that change you if, you if you're not successful how do you deal with that lack of um, winning i mean it's, it's it, of course you, you all know you have psychologists now sports psychologists as part of the the, the group the teams in, in various leagues of course and i think it's, it's important players need to talk sometimes they don't trust the manager so you need somebody else who's kind of outside of it a little bit and find people that you trust, and that's that's part of the game nowadays. You've always been driven by not only ambition and a knowledge of your talent, but a certainty about where you wanted to get to. So is it fair to deduce from what you've told me that you're one of these players who hasn't throughout his career needed that kind of psychological help or a conviction, or, or were there moments? Well, the, the thing is, you know, I, I said I want to become a professional football player, and suddenly I'm there. You know, I'm playing in the Premier League, so I've achieved my goal. What's next? How far do you want to go? And of course you'd say, you know, I want to play for the national team. I've managed that. But then what's next? And then you have dips in form and, and you think, how do I deal with that? I still think I'm the same player. I play as well as before, but the manager just drops me to the bench. And of course, you, you start looking for people who can give you a really good assessment of, of your performance and how they see you. Because, you know, often players think, I'm, I'm the best player in the team. Why am I not playing? And agents tell their players you, they are brilliant. You've said something rare there because players who aren't in the team, they don't go asking for people about where they're going wrong. They go, <laughs> he's an idiot. I'm the be- that you've have said something. Rare there. Yeah, well, I, I have questioned myself, and I'm not the only one, of course not. But uh, the majority of the players, of course, they, they look for confirmation by yeah. you know through the managers, uh, yeah. the, their agents, and they tell them, "Oh, do you want to talk to the manager? Should I?" And that's how it all starts. But I think you've got to be true to yourself and, and say, "How can I improve? Why?" And then, do you ask the manager, or you just say, "Okay, I don't talk to him, and I just show him in training." Mm-hmm. It doesn't always work like that. And then you need somebody. Is it your agent? Is it you know your your, your partner that you talk to? Is it a psychologist? Is it a uh, somebody else from the family, your father, your mother? Whoever it is, you have to find that person or that group of people who 
are honest to you, if you're not honest to yourself, and tell you the truth, tell you how to move on from that, you know, being on the bench or not even in the squad, what to do next. That's where you need to find the people that you can trust. It's funny you describe the German setup in that way because when we talked about Euro 2008, I know that there were, although it was a barnstorming way, you're, you very nearly won the European Championship. Mm. And although you've won important things, that was about to be an extraordinary experience. And that wasn't the most united German squad there. There was a lot of disharmony. But you, you won the quarterfinal in barnstorming style 3-2, which speaks about a unified group working brilliantly together. You did, And history's beautiful because, you know, the guy in that year behind you in the Bayern Munich training ground, you give the pass to him, Lamb scores, you, you're through in the final, you've beaten Turkey in an extraordinary game. What was going wrong at that time? It's interesting you mentioned that because I think that was about the only time when I was part of the team that wasn't really a team and still, or when I say performed, got the right results. Yeah. And you think, okay, you were disjointed. As you said, you could tell we, we didn't start well into the tournament. We lost to Croatia, I think. Beat Poland in the opening game, lost to Croatia in the second game. And I think we just beat uh, Austria 1-0. You just had the sense, like, you know, we're in the next round, but we haven't really played that well. How did it happen? And then, as you said, you know, we played well against uh, Portugal and, and, and Turkey. Suddenly we were in the final, thinking, well, we didn't play that well, but we were in the final. And I, I believed we're Germany. You know, we're just really good at tournaments, but we just couldn't fool the Spanish. They were too good. That was the problem. They were just way too good, and they just didn't believe in that. The Germans, you know, when they go to a tournament, they always win. Uh, which was a shame. I would have liked to win heroes. <laughs> but they were just too good. And, and then, obviously, after the game, it was so obvious to see this team is not a team. They haven't worked together. There's a, a group of uh, a lot of good individuals, but those extra 5 or 10% that you can get out of a group if, if they really work together, we didn't have that. And uh, that's one reason why we lost. Well, the second, of course, because of the Spanish, they were the best. You know, they simply were. But we came close. Well, we only lost 1-0, but it was um, disappointing. And as you said, I didn't go back thinking, oh, this was like the best group I've been in and we should have won. And for whatever reason, we didn't. It's just we, we lost because Spanish were better and we won the, the group we should have been. Uh, the guy who, who saw the weather changing um, in my world was Iker Casillas because before the semi-final in, in Durban in, in 2010, I had a nice interview with him and I just I asked him a fairly straightforward question about... He said, the Germans are coming. He said, they're building a generation to dominate Europe for a long, long time. He said, the game tomorrow, he said, we're good. We might win it. But he said, bad weather ahead. Uh -huh. And he was sure and he was clear. And, and a guy we've got respect for, Ralph Honingstein, encapsulated it in a phrase, Das Reboot. Yeah. Very clever. Uh -huh. Talented bastard. <laughs> what does Das Reboot mean to you and, 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 and how did it happen? Did Germany need to change a great deal? I think it started uh, with Jürgen Klinsmann. He was brave enough to um, take everything apart in the FA, German FA, and say we need a new philosophy, a new way going forward. We uh, need to bring in young players. Uh, we've got to seriously think about how we approach this. If you want to win trophies, we have to work harder. Up until then, I think, from what I've heard, I wasn't part uh, of the regime before Jürgen Klinsmann and the ones before and before, that they would often just go through the motions, you know, that they wouldn't work hard in training because they said, well, you do your hard work at the club. When you come to the national team, it's like, you come here to enjoy it. You know, you have like a 45-minute training session and then afterwards just have a good time and, and relax. Jürgen Clinton said, you come to the national team and I want to make you fitter. I want you to have a goal and talk about how you're going to achieve this goal. So this was a totally different approach. Not everybody liked it. But he got rid of some of the people in the FA that he thought would stand in the way of that new way going forward. 
which was very controversial. Mm. He had to take a lot in. Uh, he took all that criticism, and I think he was brave enough to to change that. He didn't get all the the, the, the glory. Joachim Löw did later, but I would say Jürgen Klinsmann deserves a lot of credit for changing the perception and changing the way the German national team is working as a group. You know, we did fitness tests, which was unheard of before. Players hated it. Is like why? Why do we fitness test? He said we want to control where you stand. Okay, first thing you do fitness test. Next year, I want you to improve on your speed, on your endurance, agility, whatever we did there. And and players don't like to be controlled that way. And that's what you have to change. And of course, bringing in younger players, they grew up that way. It makes it easier. If you deal with a thirty-two-year-old who up until that point has never done a fitness test with a national team, you say, oh, why am I going to do that now? You're not telling me that. It's, it's quite difficult. But if you have a 19, 20-year-old who, who's been brought up that way, it's a little bit easier. And they're all talented young guys. And as you just mentioned the book, Rafa describes it, the academies, the way they've changed. That's, I think, it took a few years to, to bring in the, these young players, gifted players, and also tell them they have to work hard for their success and they're willing to do that. You, you've touched on something the Spanish did because in this country... The Klinsman figure who takes on the FA Blazers doesn't exist. It can't happen, we're always told, in, in England where we are now, where we're speaking. And a shock in England when the, the, the Spanish FA says, well, when we see talented 14-year-olds, we go and spot them wherever they are. We spot them. We don't wait for the clubs to supply them. And we say to the clubs, and we oblige the clubs, that these 15-year-olds come and train at our centre. Three days a week for three months when they're 15. And uh, we use our own unpaid scouts to, to find them. And we, we begin to educate them about the Spain way. Then they go back to their clubs. Yeah. And they make friendships. And there's an echo of what you said about that at seven. You don't know that Bayern Munich are the enemies, even though you're an 1860 fan, because you haven't gone through. So Iker and Xavi can be friends, even though one's a Barcelona fan and one's a Madridista, because they're young, yeah. they haven't fought, they haven't clashed, and therefore, hands across the barricade, it's super. And, you know, you've described something in Germany where you said that the players maybe don't like a national team saying a fitness test, but they... Clubs won't like that either. Yeah. Clubs must have been just as difficult to bring on side. Absolutely. So what happened was Jürgen Klinsmann, he said, this is what we do here, the national team, and I will encourage you to do exactly the same, not the testing, but the extra training at the club. So suddenly, the fitness coaches at the club say, why do you tell us what to do? Me as a player, I would go to a club and say, here's a, you know, some of the exercises the national team want me to do. And they say, well, we've got our own fitness coach. You know, We know how to deal with you. So that was the controversy in the first year or so so it, like I said this is another thing that Jürgen Klinsmann was willing to do to fight with the clubs he knew that this would happen but he said well if we, we've got the World Cup at home if you want to be successful these guys have to work a lot harder they're not at the same level as some of the other teams so obviously you've done something wrong in the past this is my way you've got to take it and that was pretty tough because they said why is the national team so important now but of course a lot of people realised we all want to have a great World Cup in our own country it took a long time and a lot of uh, conversations between the national team and the clubs that eventually they would all work together and as far as I can judge now it does go hand in hand so the, the, the clubs have become better the national team have become really good and they will benefit from it and the people who count a great deal who aren't talked about a lot fans benefit from it because I presume that there was a pretty big celebration for finishing third, winning that playoff against Portugal in 2006. Can you compare it to the quarter of a million people that hit the streets in Stuttgart? Are those memories like, and and to what degree does it give you satisfaction for the hours of effort and does it stay with you or does the trophy lift stay with you or the friendships or the goals? What the experience, you know, going there before the game, the day before the game, we were in the hotel and there's like, I don't know, 10, 15,000 outside, maybe not that many, but it was, it was an awful lot of people standing, you know, on the street 
celebrating and they wanted to see the team and it was just incredible the, the four weeks in in Germany that time was just unreal you know we couldn't expect that uh, we played well the fans carried us through unfortunately only until the uh, semi-final because Italy they quite clever but it's the memory for me personally I've only played I think 10 minutes altogether a bit disappointing I'm happy to have been part of it but for me it was more a motivation to say well I've, I've trained with the best players in the country for four or five weeks or even longer including the pre-season for, for the World Cup just go to your club and make use of it. You know, you're fitter than ever. Now you go to your club and just you show your club manager, I'm ready for the new season. Just use me. Although it started terribly, as I described earlier. I was still fit, you know, and then uh, eventually paid off that following season. We won the, the, the title with Stuttgart and I think the reason was because I was fit. You know, there might I had be a correlation between the two experiences. I, I believe so, yeah, because also the mentality, say, the basis is there, the fitness. Uh, I had the disappointment of not playing. Uh, in the World Cup, only playing very little, I said, I want more. You know, I've, yeah. I've, I've had a sniff of it. I was part of the World Cup squad. Now I, I want to prove at the club that, you know, my place in the squad is justified. So that was the motivation. And I just stayed part of the national team squad for, I don't know, another four years. If I'm not wrong, in 2007, around 2007, you begin to... Mm, can't describe it as taking a risk at all, but it fits with your characters. You've described it. You begin to write about... Racism. Yeah. You've said in the past, we haven't spoken about it, that when you were in trial at Celtic, you saw a black player being badly abused. Yeah. You've spoken about teammates and their partners being abused. And you began to write about that then. And subsequently, I think you, you spoke or wrote about anti-Semitism. What drove that need to start to communicate and, and guide people that they were doing the wrong thing? Well, of course, too, that I've realised how popular again football has become and and you know as all the fans stand there and and you get recognized in the streets not only in Stuttgart where I played but almost everywhere in Germany people's like you know you're a national team player and the effect the effect that you have as a football player especially on young kids and I thought well of course make use of it you know for a good cause and 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 that's my conviction my belief that this is a good course I've benefited from it I've played abroad and I've never really been abused there was some stick of course being German and playing in England but that yeah, was more the banter that that's was the fair. banter that's exactly. fair yeah. oh it's fair that's what you say <laughs> uh, yeah hey folks I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I-, I had to learn the banter, um, but of course there was some uh, prejudice at the beginning. I thought, wow. Genuinely thought, okay, I'll stop joking yeah. No, no, I mean, that was I-, I-, I thought it was always robust fun. I thought we got over that really, to I had to, well, you know, we talk about 2016 years ago. And and there were some players that honestly believed, you know, I listened to Rammstein and um, I, I eat sausages and, and drink beer only. And, uh, and and the players approached me with that and said, no, this is wrong. You know, yeah, I like some German music, but not only. So I grew up with hip hop music. It's like, really? You're, you're white German. Why do you listen to hip hop? Fantastische Fear. Yeah, also. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of Fantastische Fear. I tried to uh, introduce them to German hip hop. That didn't quite work out, <laughs> but uh, that's a, another story. So there was some prejudice and I, I just... I was surprised to see that. Prejudice yeah. in terms of antipathy. Yeah. That because you were this typical Bavarian German, that wasn't a good thing. That was a bad thing. Yeah, right? yeah it was indeed. And, and uh, you just mentioned it. My experience when I was at Celtic for a week on trial, we played uh, in Germany. And, and this guy, you know, a teammate of mine, a black guy, he was, he was racially abused. And I thought, what is going on here? And <laughs> by whom? By, by German fans? By German fans, yeah. Mm. And I thought, that was sort of the first experience. And then, like I said, uh, being a foreigner yourself, it just makes you aware of what, what's going on and, and the, 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 the privilege of being abroad and not having any problems as such. But of course, I've uh, I was, you know, had experiences then with racism. We talked about it. You have players from all over the world and, and, and you know, you just share your stories. And I, I just felt there's a big responsibility there. If I want to make use of the, the status that I have as a German international, I want to use it for a good cause. And that was my impression. You know, start with a blog. I mean, I was approached by a German newspaper, Die Zeit. They said they start this blog and they want to have me there um, because I've, I've lived abroad and maybe I, I can share some stories. I can talk to teammates. And, and I did so. And, and I thought that was uh, a very good thing to do. When you take your own decision to come out, has this experience of how people receive a high-profile footballer saying things or doing things that they're not ready for, did that experience give you guidance about how to say it, when to say it, what might happen? Well, of course, you know the effect, you know what's going to happen if, if you talk about something else rather than football. Other people jump on it, you know, racism, anti-Semitism, that's, it's political. So uh, suddenly you have new people that engage with you that say you shouldn't be doing this. Other people say that's great, you know, you're a footballer and that footballers should start foundations, charities and, and do other good things. Mm. And that's just one of them. So that was nice to experience. But at the same time, you go on another territory we're not so familiar with and suddenly you have to exchange arguments with people that you don't know about something that you can talk about from experience but don't have all the reasons to come up with anything oh hold on a second this is something new but it's uh, again I have no regrets and this was a really good thing to do in terms of the coming out um, by that time I've had so much experience with uh, reactions from other people that it was a little bit easier to deal with. When you decided to come out, the, the manner in which you communicated, the manner in which you handled the pressure in the media was, was stunning. It was elegant to watch. It was really reaffirming to watch. It was just so calm and communicative that I thought even the process 
rather than what you were saying mm -hmm. would have given a lot of people, if I ever want to make that decision, I feel comfortable that it can be handled in that way. Yeah. I, I presume that was strategic. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, you know, I've been in the business long enough in the football business and, and being, yeah, sort of famous that you know how to do certain things. Uh, of course, I had no comparison, uh, you know, to look at some other players. How did they come out? But, yeah, I, I knew people who I thought could help me, assist me in that way, ask questions. Okay, this is what I want to do. How am I going to do it? So the people who supported me, they were brilliant. Yeah, I'm quite happy the way it went. Is there any way to assess whether their gentle ripples have gone positively for people either in Germany or in football, or has it kind of just been, which is also a positive, people have just got on with it and said, well, what the heck? But you did speak about wanting, you'd seen other athletes do the same thing and felt that it was positive. Uh -huh. Can you make any judgment yet, a couple of years on, whether there's been positive ripples out to other people who've said... No, thank you, that's useful. From my own experience, yes, I, I go to football grounds and people are not saying a bad word. You know, they, they talk about football, people in the street, they say, oh, you're that, and you, you kind of don't know what's coming now. It's like they always say, oh, you're that footballer. <laughs> you're that guy with that magical lift. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They always talk about football and, you know, and, and that's my experience. Yes, people are aware of it. Uh, don't talk about it too much. Have we moved on? Have you made improvements? I think so, because I can only talk about the people that write to me, people that talk to me. I had well, There's a woman yesterday that approached me at the ground and she said, you know, thank you for what you've done to football and also outside of football. And, of course, I took that as a compliment. And I have that from time to time. And I think, yes, it, it has made a difference. And I think everybody, everybody helps by coming out. And I would never want to push anybody. Uh, that's always been my view. If you're comfortable in your own skin, if mm -hmm. you think the time's right, then do it. But it's never been my intention to encourage others to do it and say, now people have to come out. No, it's a very personal decision. But I, a few years later now, I, I know that people have changed their views. Some of them have. I've received so many emails, people saying, thank you for what you've done. I'm more accepted now. I've, now you've helped me to be brave enough to come out to my parents, my friends, whatever. So every little one that I could help, you know, is... Positive. That's really what I'm asking because it, I, never having had to make decisions of, of such import that I can remember in my life, just thinking that listening to you explain that, it must be a very powerful emotion to say, well, not only did I do the right thing for me and I handled it well, but there are benefits for others. That's a very big thing to be able to say in any area of life. Of course, yeah. And, and now we come back to being a role model as a football player. And I've, the first experience I had was with the blog about racism and, and anti-Semitism. Uh, I, I got a feel for it. Mm. And this is just another topic where we talk about football and acceptance in, in life, uh, in general life, uh, football fans and everything, how, how people being treated, minorities. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's powerful. And I'm glad I've done it. And um, let's just hope that it becomes better and better. Couldn't agree more. Before we let you go, because we will, the guy who's suffering the, the, the prejudice now, the, that was Bavarian, is, is now anti-Catalan. <laughs> but I feel I'm talking to a fellow fan. Um, a certain Pep Guardiola <laughs> is coming to Manchester City. I, I remember you telling me at one stage you were going down to see Xavi Alonso to work out bits about him and his, his experience in Munich at what wasn't your club that you supported, but it's where you began Analytically, as a fan, as a, as a lover of football, as an intelligent man, what have you thought about what Pep's done for 
German football for the Bundesliga, for the media, rather than simply what he's done for Bayern? I know it's a big, big question I'm asking. What, what do you take from Pep in Germany? Yeah, I think we need another hour to, yeah. to discuss Pep. Don't be, hey, hey, hey. Don't be raising concepts like that, otherwise I'll take yeah. that other hour. Eh? And uh, yeah, yeah, I love football, and uh, that's why I love Pep, you yeah. know, what he's done to German football. And But of course, you've got to differentiate between him as, as a manager, as a, as a football coach, and him as a person, because... What he's done for Bayern was just phenomenal. I know fans are critical of him because he's not won the Champions League in three years. But the way he's changed the team, some of the games were just phenomenal to watch because at some point in the season, last season with Bayern, teams would not even go and try to beat Bayern. They would play with two banks of five, you know, just defend because they just feared losing five, six, seven nil. And that's quite some achievement. And what he's done is even break down these defences. I mean, sometimes the German national team, when they play against smaller teams, they experience something similar. And they find it very difficult to get through these, you know, two banks of five. Pep has managed that. You know, he's changed. They arrived and everyone was talking about tiki-taka the first season. Then they lost to Real Madrid in the semi-final of the Champions League. So German fans are, we're fed up with tiki-taka. He's got to change something. So they brought in wingers like... Robin Ribéry, of course, were there. And then Costa came in the third season, I think it was, and uh, Kumar. And to make use of these white players, that was different. Changing formations throughout the game three, four times, that was new. Playing players out of position, Philip Lahm moving him into midfield, Alaba as a centre-half, where he was a full-back most of his career up until that point. Everything worked out. His teams dominated the majority of the games that I've watched. You know, him being animated given his players information, and they just become better players. Uh, Jerome Boateng has become one of the best centre-halves in the world. That's what he's done. His passing's improved, doesn't it? It has improved, of course. He's done so many good things for German football, for Bayern Munich, and I, that's why I think it's unfair to say he's not fulfilled the dream of the Bayern fan. Well, that's not unfair because that's what their dreams, but he has improved so much. He has made German fans talk about tactics. You know, mm. Now we're a nation that talks about tactics. Up until that point, we wanted to win trophies, you know, play good football, but most of all, win trophies. And now we, we talk about 3-5-2. We talk about only two centre-half starting to play, like he did against uh, Juventus in his last season in the Champions League uh, in the first leg. I mean, that's, that's really impressive. This, this blows my mind, and this is why I, I know we're not going to get another hour, but I hear the passion and the pace of your delivery, and, and I'm, uh, the light bulbs are going off my soul. In the, let's leave what is and isn't failure but in the presentation when they sign him at a time when Heinkes's players have responded to the fact that he's going and Pep's coming in in a way that City's players haven't managed this season they win the treble the two guys who were in charge of the club when you said listen I'm, I'm, I'm off to Birmingham Hennis and Rummenigge with Samer say I'll tell you what we'd like not to be we'd like not to be FC Hollywood anymore we'd like not to win a trophy and then fall asleep in the league next year and he did that they said as well, we'd like to revolutionise how people look at our football. They wanted in that presentation on his first day the excitement that I've just heard in your voice about the way in which Bayern can fascinate and draw you in and, and play more intelligently. And I'd take a little jump and shoot me down if I'm wrong, but you draw a little correlation between what you saw and what you learned in 2006 under Klinsmann and, and Joachim Lowe and what you were able to bring to Armin Vey and the, and the title season at Stuttgart. There must have been some correlation, it's my argument, between what the Bayern Munich players learned under Pep in, his, in, in the first season, what the rest of the Bundesliga saw Bayern Munich doing, and just that little extra element in 2014 when the German national team managed to win the World Cup. It, 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 has he had 
some small grain of effect in that? Yes, certainly. And and what's interesting is that players like Philipp Lahm, for example, I mean, it was after the first season that Pep was there that Germany won the World Cup. That even Philipp Lahm, you know, it's quite difficult to teach him something. He's seen everything. You know, he's, he's, he's won almost everything. Yes. But he even admits that Pep Guardiola has taught him something new in football. And that's what I mean. And, and Pep brings that uh, obsession with football. Before him, you know, you talk about managers who, of course, care about the game, care about the team, the club. But I think he, he brought that obsession, that, that 24-7 thinking about football, that puts people off, you know, and understand that because he avoids any question uh, around the football. You know, all he wants to talk about is football. Yeah. But if you're part of a big club like Bayern Munich, you're not just a, a football manager, you're representing a club. Yeah. The fans want to engage with you. The fans want to see you sometimes, you know, you're invited by fan clubs and, and they just want to get to know you as a person. And he never opened up to the fans. And that's the only point of criticism that he hasn't really won over the fans. He said he arrived and Germany was pretty decent. After three years, it hasn't improved. And I think that's, those are the signs that you think he said that he enjoys being in Munich. He, he, he likes German football, but his actions are different. A man like him who's so intelligent, who's, who's travelled the world, and I know German is not an easy language, you would no. expect him to improve his German. Yes. And he would not do one-on-one interviews so, with, with journalists. And of course, people don't like that in Germany. So whenever he lost, you know, when he lost to Real Madrid in the Champions League the year after against Barcelona... They had something to criticise him. I think you can hardly criticise him the way his team is playing. The only thing you can criticise is, well, you know, it's a project. But, you know, he treated Bayern as a project. And, and they're proud Bavarians. It's a huge club. And if you go there and the club asks you, I don't know if they've done it before, the club asks you, do you want to stay with our great club again? He says, no, thank you. I'm going to Manchester City. I always wanted to be, be their manager. People don't like that. People just don't like that. And that's why he's never become a club legend, for once, because he's not won the Champions League, which I think is a bit unfair because Champions League, you know, that level, there's some other great teams. You can always lose to them, especially the Spanish. He hasn't engaged with the fans, and that's really sad. And I wish he had done that, but obviously that's him. But as a, as a football manager, I think there's no better manager in the world. But you, you, You've made a journey in different circumstances, but for similar reasons that he's about to make. You, you saw a different horizon. You wanted to test yourself. You wanted to take a risk. You're coming to a new culture and a new language. Is there a risk of these, these small flaws that you've microscoped repeating at Manchester City in England, given your clear knowledge of the British football culture or not? Well, it's, it's different in, in, in England, of course, the, the, the way the fans... I mean, first of all, I think the fans have accepted that they're not very close to the team. You know, they can't watch training. In mm. Germany, you can watch the training. In England, you can't. So all they expect is success. He can probably buy the players, bring them in, the, the players that he wants. He's an excellent manager. Premier League's different. I, I'm curious of what, what he's going to do. I've had a bet with someone recently and I said, yeah, Man City's going to win the Premier League in the first season. I just think that he's that good. I don't think you can ever say one team is winning the Champions League. That's For me, it's yeah. so hard to foresee and, yeah. and so because it's kind of going up and down. But you can almost guarantee winning the league because if you have the best squad and a manager like him, I think, yeah, he's, he's going to win the league. That's my assumption. But it's going to be tough how he's going to deal with it. He speaks the language better than German. So that's an advantage, of course. He's got his mates there already at Man City. I think they're going to deal with it. It's, it's slightly different. It's, it's all set up for him already. When he arrived at Bayern, he's had all the success with Barcelona. Mm. He took a year off. The whole drama around him is so hard, and then your pankers want to treble with Bayern. To arrive at such a big club now after winning the treble, 
and with all the thing around him, he's lived in New York, he's met all the famous people in the world, and suddenly he's at Bayern. And they were so proud, and that's where I thought, oh, he must win the Champions League yeah. for us. You know, There's no other way. We have one of the best squads in the world, now we have the best manager. It's inevitable that we win the Champions League, and it hasn't happened. So people are disappointed. And now, he's not won the Champions League for three years in a row. Man City, he arrives, and the expectations may not be as high as they were when he arrived at Bayern. The ground is more fertile. A little bit, yeah. It makes total sense. Doing these interviews is, is more of a privilege than you know, more of a privilege than I've been able to express. The poor fools who have to listen to this every couple of weeks hear my puppy-like enthusiasm about the people we speak to. But it's very, very, very rare in this long series of interviews that have given the three of us more enjoyment than any time in our professional career that I say, I wish we weren't stopping. But yeah. I did promise you um, that with Swiss watch timing, yeah, because that's right. I'm quite handy at um, Good. opening up Swiss watches, that will stop. But two things, please. At some stage in the future of this interview, even if we have to leave it for a little while, could we do this again? Yeah, I'd love to. Thank I'd you. To. Then that's all I want to know. It's a great pleasure. An really enormous pleasure, yeah. a real education. You're a man that we all admire, super footballer, and um, it's been what football should be, a joy. Backpage and I produce the big interview. A labour of love, but even a labour of love needs music to play on with. Beer Jacket, thank you. Keep up to date. Listen, please keep up to date with everything we're doing at grahamhunter.tv. There's a little box for your email address, and if you sign up for that, you'll get our newsletter to tell you everything that we're up to. We'll also let you put questions for our guests, but more importantly than that, whichever podcast app you use, if you're on our list, we send you the big interview Every time it comes out. We're on Facebook. Look for the big interview. We're at GH Podcast on Twitter and on Instagram. Keep in touch. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. The reason for us being here. Thank you.